0: So Romans 13 and verse 11, there was a Beatles song in the late 60s, A Day in the Life. John Lennon, I think, wrote most of it and sang the verses. And then there was a middle bit that Paul McCartney sang, and it began with the words, Woke up, walk up. And that's my title, really, because it's in uh, the reference in verse 11, I suppose, in verse 12 as well, but particularly verse 11, uh, that song was banned briefly by the BBC for various reasons. Uh, But uh, in the Beatles case, it was woke up, fell out of bed. But uh, I want us to think tonight about uh, uh, what I would love at the end or before the end of tonight's service, that we would all be able to say that, wow, I I woke up to the spiritual reality of what's happening in, in my life, in your life in the world and the church around us. Almost 17 centuries ago, it's a long time, isn't it? There was a a young man called Aurelius Augustine, his mother, anybody remember her name? Monica, she was a Christian, she'd prayed for him for years. He was a wayward lad and then a wayward man. And then one day, he'd been bothered, he'd heard the gospel a few times, and then he heard some kids playing a game. And the kids in the game were saying something like, pick it up and read it, that kind of thing. And uh, I'm not sure what Augustine was thinking, but with the direction of the Holy Spirit, without him realising, he picked up not only a book to read, but the Bible. And not only the Bible, but the closing verses of Romans chapter 13, where he read something like this let us behave decently not in orgies drunkenness sexual immorality debauchery jealousy etc and those words the holy spirit took hold of and showed augustine something you know what the holy spirit showed augustine himself himself because those words were a, a perfect description of the life that Augustine lived and the life he loved. He loved his life. Uh, I heard on the radio uh, this week, I think it was from the greatest showman, This Is Me, the song. Well, you was Augustine saying, well, this is me. I'm reading about me in Romans chapter 13. And then he continued the following verses towards the end of the chapter where he read about the cure, the remedy, the alternative to this selfish hedonistic lifestyle, the miracle cure, if you like. Offer to Augustine and to me and to you and to them, whether they are tonight. Rather than carry on this selfish life, rather clothe yourself. Notice, not try harder to be better, but put on the righteousness. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think of how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Augustine was not an idiot. He knew what he was, really. But now he was having it hammered home to him from the pages of Scripture, what he was. And, of course, what he was, he was pretty much happy to be. But now there was this wonderful alternative. Now he was seeing how awful he was. He could be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Was enough. He couldn't do it himself. There were many things he could do, and many things you you were capable of doing tonight, and many things you should be doing. But you can't do this. When Augustine saw that he couldn't do it, he had to look away from himself to the Lord. He had to be changed from the inside out, and only Almighty God can do that. Well, let me ask at the very start: Have you come that far? Have you come that far? Surely you've seen something in what you are. Before Almighty God is ugly, it is ugly. but as far as it possible that somebody listening tonight is is saying, yeah, I know I've got a few flaws, a few, made a few mistakes, you know messed up a few times, but I'm pretty good really with a few uh, minor flaws here and there. If that is your situation, you really need to look again at the scriptures and what the Lord says about people like you and me. In the uh, early 80s, some of you have heard this story. Well, you've heard all the stories before. Uh, I was an atheist teaching physics. And uh, one day, as I was helping this uh, girl, she was in year 13. So she's like 17, 18. I was helping her set up this experiment. There were others in, in the room, but, were, but she was having trouble with this experiment. And we were fiddling with the operators. I can't remember what it was. And she was a lovely girl, very bright, but she was a lovely, polite girl. And I remember her saying, as I was trying to set this apparatus up and get it to work, can I ask you something, sir? Yeah, I said, not knowing what was coming. Do you know there are some girls, she said, in your 11, they think you're wonderful. And I said, I know, I know. And then she said this, and these words the Lord took hold of about five or six years later. She said, why don't you tell them what you really like? And I was stunned. I didn't say anything. Uh, you know, she, she was refreshingly honest But then years later The Lord took hold of those words And they kept coming back to me all the time You know, why don't you tell people What you really like? You know, there are some people who, who liked me Were impressed by me or whatever But they didn't know me, the real me And this, that's what this uh, The Lord had taken hold of her words And bothered me about the guilt Of my sins So let me ask you again have you come that far? Is that is that you so something like you a story where you've seen the guilt of your sin, you've seen what you are, and that you can't get rid of that sin? And so do my text, anyway, in verse eleven, understanding the present time. Now, apparently, there were many different words for time uh, in in Greek, and the word used here is is not like what's the time now? It's about twenty-five past six. Not that kind of. Uh, time, but meaning the sort of thing where somebody says, This is a key time or a special time, or this is an historic moment. That kind of word. This is a important. This is a milestone. This is a watershed. A special time of significance. A particularly important time. A time when we really need to understand what's going on. That's why he says it. We need to understand the present time. We must wake up to understand the present time. Why? Well, for a start, he says, because your salvation is getting nearer. The night is nearly over. The day is almost there. Now, can you feel the urgency of what the Apostle Paul is saying? He's urgent. The night isn't nearly over. Look, the day is almost here. He's saying, wake up. Now, I made the mistake, and it is a big mistake to you know with the internet, you can watch all the church services, You know, which is Tremendous. And yet, in this case, awful. I made the mistake of watching briefly the biggest church in America. You know, probably 30,000 or something. Just like a big sports sports hall. Massive. And there's a huge number of people gathered to listen to this guy. And uh, he always starts off, according to his own words, with something funny. But this time, he started off with an awful joke about jesus and i couldn't help thinking of the contrast between this pastor of the biggest church this mega church biggest church in america and contrasting him with the urgency the seriousness and the importance of what the pastor paul the apostle paul was saying how urgent he is you've got to understand the present time wake up he says this is important salvation's getting nearer now when i was a kid there was a famous man called albert schweitzer some of you probably never even heard of him now he was very famous then he was a brilliant musician he was a missionary in africa he was a medical doctor he'd won the nobel prize for contributions in philosophy he was an exceptionally gifted polymath he was brilliant at lots of things uh, He won the Nobel Prize for his philosophy in three words, reverence for life, all life, not just human life, but all life, including lions and tigers and cockroaches. And so as we had the reputation for having the dirtiest surgery in the whole of Africa, because if he saw a cockroach or an ant or whatever it was, you know, know, he, he couldn't possibly sort of like we might do with a typical Welsh zeal, say, well, let's get rid of that and we'd splat it because it could be uh, dirty and cause germs or whatever. Now, Schweitzer was a, a theologian too. But his view of Jesus was more or less this. Jesus died a disillusioned and broken man and obviously stayed dead. And that the, his view of the Apostle Paul was that Paul got it wrong, his theology wrong, and then desperately tried to backpedal, particularly with regard to this time, the time that's in Romans 13, this historic time. Because, according to Schweitzer, Paul believed that Jesus was coming tomorrow kind of thing. And then when he didn't, oh, well, he had to revise his theology and come up with something else. Our salvation is getting nearer, isn't it? But what does that mean? Am I not already saved then? My salvation is getting nearer. Has it not come? Well, I am saved. I was saved. I am saved. I'm being saved. But the full measure of the majesty of the kingdom of Almighty God is not not arrived yet. Not here yet. But soon will be in all its fullness. And that's why we need to be ready because none of us knows when he will come. And uh, there was was never any hint that Paul knew the date. Even the Lord Jesus said that he didn't know when he was gonna come again, the perusia. But Paul was urgent. Nobody knows, be ready. This is historic time. Now, in the early 90s, I hadn't been a Christian long, and I remember reading in the paper, that, uh, again, a mega church in America, the pastor had said that Jesus had come in at midnight on a particular day and everybody sold up all their houses and all their possessions and everything. And they rushed to the top of the mountain with their pastor. Uh, now, why did they do that? Because nobody knows. Why did they listen? At the same time as that, as a young Christian, I was bombarded with this, this um, teaching that, Thousands of Jews, and they would tell me exactly how many, thousands of Jews were returning to uh, Israel every week, and therefore Jesus was going to come once the number of Jews reached a, a certain level. Well, it's 30-odd years now since, since both those events, or non-events as it happened. But what does it mean, my salvation's getting nearer? I'm going to die soon. I don't know when that soon is. We're getting... Within a new year, we're a year older, if you like. we're getting nearer the grave of all of us. Um, and we we're getting nearer if if my death uh, is before the Lord Jesus comes, then obviously that's that's getting sooner, but also it might coincide. I might not die then the, when the Lord might come, he could come soon, He could come tomorrow, he could come next week. it could come twenty years' time, I don't know but certainly. There are hallmarks of the last days. We're in the last days. We're in a global crisis. This pandemic now. Okay, 150,000 awful isn't it? deaths uh, in UK. But, but who in the world is sorting it out? Nobody can. It's a crisis, and we need to understand the present time. Now, if I was to stop now and ask you all, I'd prime you to have a pen and paper and to write down right now how you see our present time i wonder what you'd write down what would be your response what might you say what are we to do well certainly in the context of the passage we to love the light and hate the darkness but what does that mean though you just think now uh, compared to 30 years ago for instance there are more soup kitchens run by churches and more food banks supported by churches than there were then no doubt about it and that's good i think that is good But where are we, though, regarding loving the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it as simple as last Wednesday that we've lost confidence in the Bible, lost confidence in the word of God? Certainly, I suppose, everything, every slump starts there. Or, yeah, every slump must start there. I mean, when you think of a couple of years ago, Harry and Meghan's uh, wedding, and Christians getting in touch with me saying, it was great, the bishop preached the gospel. And so I watched it. And he didn't preach the gospel. It wasn't the gospel. And you go to some Christians thinking it was, which was, well, worse. You know, why, why did you think it was the gospel? And then uh, the leader of the Alpha Course uh, on YouTube interviewing the Archbishop of Canterbury and thanking him for still preaching the gospel, which I've never known that he did preach the gospel. Well, everything I've seen on YouTube, there's no, there's no gospel. And yet, What's going on then? Have we lost confidence completely in the Word of God in the Gospel? Where does it start? Is it that we become selective We've, We haven't lost confidence in all the Bible, but we emphasize certain bits that are more popular because we don't want confrontation. We don't want somebody to, to think we bigoted and narrow and whatever but you know if you were to watch a whole bevy of uh, church services on the Internet, or attend them, if you could, up and down the land, Would you conclude if you were E.T. come from another planet and you went to a typical church services up and down the land? Would you conclude that the world is reserved for fire, of judgment, and that millions of people are hurtling towards hell? Would you conclude that? From what you hear and what and what if you watch Christians talking to each other. Let's be honest, sin barely gets a mention, and hell has virtually vanished. We've tried to improve gospel. We've tried to make Jesus more palatable. Now the world stresses tolerance of everything, just about, except the narrow exclusive gospel. And so immediately, if you really believe the gospel, if you really believe it, then you will clash head on with the world. Is that happening? Seems to me that the church is sliding down the slippery slope to where the world is. I read in Romans 16, watch out, keep away from them. Well, who are they then? Some who are serving themselves, not the Lord Jesus Christ. How are they how do we pick them out? By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Are you one of those naive people? Later in Romans 16, Paul says, now to him who is able to establish you, three words then, by my gospel. Now, this is our only hope, the gospel. When Christians say, oh, not the gospel again, something's wrong. That might be the presentation of it, of it, but something's wrong somewhere. Because this is the only way that we'll get established. There's no other way for the Lord by his spirit to establish us. You know, I mentioned a few weeks ago, didn't I? A few years ago, just before Christmas, on the one show, they bring a vicar on. He's got about one minute. He gives the gospel in a Tremendous. And yet there are other notable Christian, inverted commas, leaders who are all over the Internet and sometimes on the radio and the TV. And they say nothing. Well, that's not true. They say plenty, but not the gospel. And is there an outcry from professing Christians in our land? I don't think so. Let me ask you, how central is the cross of Jesus Christ to you? How central is it to you? Remember how the apostle puts it in First John. It's amazing. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to you. Do you notice that then? Something strange, isn't it? We proclaim to you the eternal life. That's Jesus. We proclaim to you the eternal life. What an odd, odd it's wonderful, Well, what a strange way to say we proclaim to you Jesus. We proclaim to you the eternal life. He is the life. His gospel is good news simply because he is the life. Because without that life, Without that life. You know, I mentioned those two men at the start, didn't they? Father and the Son, you know? The, the father there, you know, people think he's being converted, but he, he thinks he's pretty good, really. He hasn't got life. He's never come to the cross. He doesn't see that, that he, he's dead in his trespasses and sins, and he must be saved or he'll perish. And yet people in the church thought, oh, he's been converted. Because without that life, what'll happen? We'll perish. You know that, do you? You know that. Do you? Really? See, the old, the old legalists. They did this and they did that, you know, they didn't do that, or whatever. They they stood out from the crowd. They didn't drink, they didn't smoke. They didn't go to the cinema. Yeah, they stood out. They were different. They were different, I would say, as well, because they were boring. And they, you know, forbade all fun on a Sunday, that kind of thing. They didn't watch TV. They didn't follow fashion. They packed Sundays often with meetings. They so didn't have time to do anything else. They've gone. And I'm glad they've gone. But what have we replaced them with? Look at our day. Are we distinctive at all? They were distinctive, not necessarily for the right reasons. But are we distinctive at all? A man called Bebbington wrote a great history book of the Christian faith in the UK. And uh, he pointed out there were these people. They feared God. They knew God was holy. They knew they weren't holy. They'd called out for the Lord Jesus to save them. And uh, they knew they were rescued. There was one mediator between them and God, the man Christ Jesus, and they were thrilled to be converted. And they were nicknamed evangelicals. Evangel, the gospel. They were nicknamed gospel people. They don't get anything to say except the gospel, gospel, all the time. But nowadays, evangelical is meaningless. It's a meaningless term. There was a book titled some years ago, so I know some of you have read the book. When something like, when people are big and God is small. Oh, that's our day. Another book, some Hayden, I think, lent me. The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience. Now, you can debate and discuss, if you want to, where we went wrong and when it began and where we are now. But the symptoms are there. We have airbrushed certain doctrines from the pulpits. Holiness condemnation, repentance, hell. When was the last time you heard heard of somebody convicted of their sin? Now, there was a hymn writer, Samuel Stone. He was walking along the Thames Embankment and he saw three men attacking a lady. He ran up. He thumped the first one so hard that the man was knocked unconscious. The other two then scarpered. They just ran away. Now, pretty soon, sooner than you imagine, You'll, you won't face the fist of Samuel stone. You'll face Almighty God on your own. Nobody to put a word in for you. And Hebrews tells us this is a terrifying prospect. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God who hates all sin. Hates all sin. He's angry always at sin. He's a consuming fire. Revelation chapter one, when Apostle John, who loved the Lord Jesus, remember, when he's confronted by the Lord Jesus in his glory, he falls face down. But to you and me tonight, if you're a Christian, there's Apostle John falling face down. But to you and me, we can sing and we're right to be able to sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. How's that It's a few years now since these clever, important people decided that B.C. and A.D. were no longer accurate and relevant. So before Christ has vanished and they call it B.C.E. Before Common Era. What a slap in the face that is for the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's your time tonight. And my time. The Lord has given us this time. The hour is coming. The night is almost over. Soon you will see him as he is. In his full brightness. The brightness of the one who created a hundred billion suns. We know that. Perhaps you're sitting there saying. But it's okay. We've been saved. Well if that's true. Praise God. Then it's time to wake up to the fact that you've been saved. The old flesh battles. Against the new life. And in lots of cases, it seems the old flesh is doing a very good job at suffocating the new life that the Holy Spirit has given. Let me just close, close with two quotes. One from a Puritan The Lord God Almighty may well forgive sinners, but he never forgives sins. And we need to remember that. All sins, if I'm forgiven as a sinner, It's not because my sins were forgiven, overlooked, because my sins were dealt with, paid for. Do you follow that? It's important. Too many Christians, it seems to me, count their sins since they became Christians as trivial and important. Last quote. Augustine, since conversion, this is Augustine, since conversion, my best deeds are nothing but splendid vices. Do you see what he's getting at? Here's your time. Here's your hour. How do you see it? I I can't do your thinking for you. I can't. You've you've really got to think this through for yourself. Where are you? And your time is now. Amen. We'll sing.